0: Well, good morning, church family, and good morning to the church family online and those that would be in the cars driving in. We're grateful to be gathered as the people of God uh, this morning. And uh, before we get to the word, I can tell you where you need to be turning, turning your Bibles to first Peter. That's where we're going to be. But as you turn there, I want to give you just uh, a little update on the uh, new church campus and the, the pledge drive that we've been doing, uh, Pastor Tony just mentioned to you a little bit about that, but I want to go in uh, just a little uh, deeper, um, because uh, unless you've not been checking your emails or watching any of the services this month, back on July 5th, we announced to you that uh, we're getting close to completing phase one of the new church campus getting all the infrastructure in place And, and we're to the point where we're going to be ready for buildings and so um, We began a pledge drive asking you to consider what is it that you might give your family might give uh, Over the next 11 months to the new church campus And so we had a big goal 2.3 million dollars is the goal that we're looking to to raise and then in god's kindness just over really uh Two Sundays, three full weeks thus far, 51 families in our church, about a quarter of the families who attend here, so 51 families have already pledged just over a half a million dollars uh, to be given over 11 months. That's incredible. You can praise the Lord for that. Thank you. That to us is encouraging. That is so encouraging uh, to see, and um, I just want to thank you. Uh, to everybody that has given, because really, here's what that means. That means now, after all these years, after a project that started at $7 million, um, now we're down to $1.8 million that needs to be raised. And, and so, like, there's two ways of looking at this, right? Like, we are closer than we have ever been. Now, as I say that, there has been one question that has been asked of me time and time again over the last few weeks since we made this announcement. And when a number of people ask you the same question over and over again, you begin to realize, okay, that there might need to be some clarification. And and so I sent out an email this week, but I want to speak to you about what that clarification is. See, here's the question that many of you have asked. It goes something like this. What happens if we don't receive pledges of $2.3 million? Dave, are we going to abandon the project? Does that mean that we're not going to move into construction? That is a very fair question. And I'm like, I get enough people ask me because a lot of people, and maybe some of you are here today or even watch online, you're like, I'm kind of hedging my bets. I, I haven't put in my pledge yet because I'm not so clear that this thing's going to actually happen and why would I want to give money back to the Lord? It's already his anyway. But why would I want to give money uh, to, to to that if it's not going to happen? All right, so let me clarify. Let me answer these questions as clearly as i can um if if we don't receive pledges of 2.3 million dollars let me answer the bigger question are we going to abandon the project the answer is no no we're not going to abandon the project we're not going to abandon the property oh, i can stand before you today on behalf of the elders and tell you we're going to build a new campus on that property that, that remains our desire. We're doing everything in our power driving towards that. So if you think that what you're contributing today might not eventually manifest itself in buildings over there, just take that thought, roll it up, and as the professor of mine said, smoke it, all right? Just get rid of it, okay? Like, it's, it, that's, that's not in our purview. We're going to build a new campus there. Now, there's a question of timing, okay? When can we start building the buildings is that are we going to roll from phase 1 directly into the construction of the buildings that's just a little bit more complicated it's just a little bit more of a complicated question i'll tell you right now our desire is to to roll right into construction we are working with the county right now, exploring every option uh, possible to, to make that happen. Um, we're receiving some of the tremendously good news and some feedback from the county on that um, because some of that was received on Friday. I can't tell you all of what that is just yet, okay? But I can tell you that we're, we're working towards that. Dean is working, working towards that, um, and so we're exploring all those options. But here's the deal. When it's all said and done, receiving your pledges – understanding, because this Sunday and the next time, this is the last week, if you will, of, of this pledge drive. That's going to help us tremendously because we'll understand how much finances are available to us to, to then begin constructing the buildings. Now, I'm just going to say it. Uh, Tony and John are going to kill me. They might cut my mic right now, but let me just, let me just say this. Because some of you have asked, well, will we ever borrow money? What about loans and, and those kind of things? The money's so cheap right now. Have you heard that? I've heard it lots of times um here's the deal with with loans um even if we were to consider that put that as a big big if, um from the lending agents that we've talked to your pledges and what you pledge help the lending agencies determine even if they would lend us any money are you tracking with me all right so if you don't make pledges if you don't think your pledges matter if, if we even get to a place where we think that we might even potentially consider doing that to, to do anything, they need to know how much this congregation and how many of people in our congregation are invested in it. We didn't know that until we asked the question, and that's what they've told us. So if you can only give $10, fill out a card and pledge $10 over the next 11 months. If you can only pledge $10 over the next 11 months, you should probably be talking to us about the Mercy Fund, okay? Because we, we probably need to come alongside of you in some, some other ways as well. Um, I don't want to just say that totally flippantly, but, but I'm saying, listen, as the people of God, take the card, fill it out, love to see, not 51, but would love to see all 200 families in our church say, we're committed to this, we're going to give something. Because just do the math, right? If a quarter of us have already, and my family included, I've already pledged half a million dollars the next three quarters we'd pay for this entire thing just just a thought you with me on that all right now let's go to the word of god let's pray together Heavenly Father, we come to your word. Um, this is why we have gathered here to worship you, to praise you. Sometimes we got to do this. Sometimes we got to just share news and make announcements because we're a family. And that's what family does. We talk. We communicate. We don't keep things hidden from one another. And so, Father, um, we're going to trust you um, with the new campus project. And, and uh, Lord, what's going to happen? We're looking forward to it. We're, we're so close. And we see the future that lies ahead. Um, and, Lord, as we trust you with that, so we're going to trust you now by your spirit, helping us to receive the word that you have for us. So lead us, guide us into your truth, I pray and I ask. And I say this with the rest of the saints in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, everybody in your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Are you there? You should be. I gave you enough time, all right? So here we go. We're going to look at 1 Peter Chapter 2, today we're going to continue on. Listen, as a church, we believe in something called exegetical or expository preaching. That means we preach through books of the Bible. It's not those times we don't preach topically. We, we do, um, but we try and focus the most of our time just preaching through a book of a Bible. And so we deal with the verses as they come. We don't skip over passages of God's word. Today, in light of the current climate, the section that we're looking at, I would maybe be tempted to skip over, but I'm not going to, okay? We're going to look at this section together. We're going to go all the way from verse 11 down to verse 17, but, but let me just kind of, let me just set for you this morning what we're going to be dealing with. I want to create some expectations. We've come to a passage of scripture this, this morning that's going to deal with the Christian and your relationship and my relationship to government all right right, yeah you're feeling that you want my job right now you want my you want to take take the mic some of you are like yeah and i'm like if that's you then we don't want to give you the mic this morning <clears throat> but we that's where we find ourselves the apostle peter is, is going to be addressing this in our text this morning and so as we realize this is what we're about to read and study let me just say that we can't deny the fact that we come to a discussion about government with our political affiliations and with our preferences. And so, because that is true, here's what I'm asking of you and what I'm asking of my own heart, even as I studied this week. Would you join with me in doing what Peter said earlier? And as someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, would you take control of your mind this morning? Would you take control of your mind and not allow your mind to go to places and to make judgments or assessments before we have let God's word speak to us? Can, can we make that covenant with one another this morning? Um, we don't want our political affiliations or preferences to blind us from maybe what God has for us. We have the ability to take control of our minds, to be sober, sober-minded. So that's number one. And then number two, here's an expectation. Um, there is no way this morning unless you want to be here for two consecutive hours, that I am going to be able to address all that has to be said on this topic of Christians and their relationship to the government. I want to be faithful to the text. I want to preach through this text. This isn't a topical message. We're preaching through First Peter. If it was a topical message, maybe I could do it. But we're going to have the verses before us and we're going to look at it. And so listen, there are going to be questions that you're going to have while I'm preaching. Take control of your mind, shelve those questions, all right? Wait and see if God's word's going to answer it later. But then there's also this. Because I can't say everything on this topic this morning, today, we're going to preach through this text. But this is a two-part message, okay? And so some of you are going to be like, what about this? What about this? Are we going to talk about that? How do we respond? I'm not going to give you today some of the application that you're really, really going to want. So just lower your expectations for me, okay? Next week, we are going to be picking up anything that I didn't latch on to this morning. So there's the expectation. How's that for a preface, all right? Just, I just gave myself a wide berth. So let's dive into it. We're gonna start in verses 11 and 12, which in a sense are not gonna have to, anything to do with the Christian and government, but it's part of where we find ourselves in God's word. So let's begin. Peter says, beloved, I urge you, As sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our text from the Word of God this morning starts with these two verses, which are transitional verses. In verses 11 and 12, what Peter is doing is he's connecting what he's just talked about to, to what he's about to talk about. And and what he's just talked about, and Pastor Paul did a great job on this last week, is he's been talking to you and I about our identity as Christians. That one of the most significant things in your walk with, with the Lord as a follower of Jesus Christ, is to know who you are. And Peter, again, cements our understanding of who we are. Look at what he calls you and me in verse 11. He calls us beloved. One of your identities and my identities as a follower of Jesus Christ is someone who is beloved, literally loved by God. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you know that he died for you and rose again, then what you should see yourself in relationship to God the Father as is someone who is loved by him. This is a a key understanding of our identity, someone who is always loved by him. By God, because we are loved by God in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal, because there are going to be days in your life where things are going to happen where you're not going to feel very loved. You're going to actually wonder why something is happening to you if God actually loves you. Have you ever had an experience like that? We opened up our lives to you a little bit a few weeks ago. When we talked about a recent miscarriage that we had, something that we weren't looking um, to, to have in our lives. And, and then all of a sudden God brings us in and then and then we miscarry and, and, and we begin to feel this doesn't feel very loving like COVID doesn't feel very loving. A lot of things don't feel very loving. But here's the truth in those times where, where we would say, God, if you were really loving, you wouldn't allow this, that or the other. What we ground ourselves in is that, no, we are loved and we have been shown love because Jesus Christ came into the world. And through his death, burial and resurrection, do you believe this? Do you know this? That through his death, burial and resurrection, he paid for the penalty of your eternal judgment before God. The wrath of God is satisfied. The penalty for sin has been paid. The power of sin over you is no more. You're no longer an enslaved person to sin. You have a new life. You've been born again. Peter's already said this in this text. How much are you loved? That Jesus Christ sent his one and only son so you wouldn't have to bear his wrath for eternity so that you wouldn't have to be a person enslaved to sin any longer. And that one day, as we learned already, Peter said, there is an inheritance, eternal, unblemished, unfading, kept in heaven for you. One day, the presence of sin Will be removed hallelujah for that amen, so we are loved people. this is important, and we 're not only loved people. He says, "Look at this, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles we 've talked a lot about this we are we are loved by God, and he 's talked earlier about how we are this this holy nation, this royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, a, a chosen race, and that when you When you enter into relationship with Jesus, your citizenship, my citizenship is now in heaven. It's no longer uh, connected to to the things of this world. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ. So when he says we're sojourners and exiles, he's telling us, listen, this is not your home. It might feel like it. You might even like it. But this isn't your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. This is this is huge. it's going to play in significantly with what happens next. You see, this is your identity. And then what what Peter does in this section is he comes and he says, because of your identity, because of who you are, he says very clearly, abstain. If this is who you really are, abstain. Abstain from what? Passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. What does that mean? He means, listen, if you've been freed from the penalty of sin if you've been freed from the power of sin peter's saying i'm not going to deny that the that the flesh still remains i'm not going to deny that the sinful nature is still there i'm not going to deny that there's temptations that still exist but we are not a people who are controlled by our passions we are not a people who are controlled by our emotions our circumstances our feelings which come and go we are able, praise God and hallelujah, to abstain from sin. I don't think that we always believe that as Christians. I think that sometimes there's a tendency with inside of us to say, "You, well, you know, I'm just a sinner. This is what you know this is just part of the sinful nature that, that lives within me, to which I say, you're not going to find that in the Bible. There's never an excuse for us to give in to sin. If it says anything, it says the opposite. You're beloved, you're a sojourner, you're an exile, you're someone who has the power of the spirit. Do you believe that sin has no true hold over you? I'm not saying that you're not going to sin. I'm saying that the power of Christ resides in you to not give in. Peter doesn't deny it's gonna gonna be hard. He says it feels like a battle at times. But we can overcome. Do you believe that? God's word says you should. That gives me hope that when I'm struggling with anger or bitterness or resentment or an unforgiving spirit or impatience, that those things don't define me. But then he goes on, verse 12. He says, listen, there's a reason why we live this out. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as what? Evildoers. At the end of the day, they may still see your good deeds. What are your good deeds? Not giving into the passions of the flesh, living as the people of God, not slander and malice and fighting and bickering, but kindness and gentleness so that people would see this. And so at the end of the day, when God comes and he visits and he levels judgment, there's not going to be one person who can say, you know, they proclaimed Christ, but they didn't live it. It's so that you and I would live this way. If we proclaim this is who we are, then our actions, our speech, our conduct should match it. If our citizenship is in heaven, if he's our king, if we're loved by him, if we're freed from sin, then our actions should match it and the world should have no excuse. Because look, here's here's the deal. As it stands today already, the world looks at some of the actions that we do as Christians and they think it's evil, don't they? There are things that, that we do, like the world doesn't need any help accusing christians of evil i'm just going to pick on the big one it's obvious it's it's easiest but the fact that god's word calls us as christians to not support but instead reject the idea of LGBTQ, the fact that we can say like listen we have love for those people but we believe the gospel transforms our passions the world says that's evil that's evil and you know what happened in peter's day Here's what was happening in Peter's day. In Peter's day, everyone was called to make sacrifices to the emperor's god or the different gods in the temple. And the deal was in Peter's day that if you didn't give sacrifices to those gods, and then all of a sudden those gods who they believed were responsible for crops and fertility and everything else, if all of a sudden there was a famine, who do you think they blamed for the famine? The people who didn't give the sacrifices. And the Christian said, we can't do that. That's, that's, not, that's not how we worship. And so Peter's saying, listen, there's going to be things that you're going to have to do that the world's going to call evil. But what they should never question is your conduct because of, of who you are. One of the things I love about 1 Peter is time and time again is it tells us, brothers and sisters, don't flee from the world. Meaning you don't pull yourself out of it. But instead, as you live in it, you and I should live in in a way that that marks us as different as citizens of heaven. We are God's people. Part of his kingdom. And that identity should impact how we live. This is huge. This is important because Peter says it over and over again. But it leads us to something. It leads us now into the text this morning because you see. If we're citizens of God's kingdom, and if we understand that it calls us to live differently, if that citizenship is so important, if we belong to God and to him alone, if our allegiance is to him, then a question should come up in your mind and my mind, and then we know it came up in their mind. The question being, well, if I belong to God, if he's done all these things for me, and what I should be concerned about is is living righteously in, in the world, then what, if any, responsibility do I have to the governments around me? Like if Jesus is king, who gives a rip about the emperor? who gives a rip about the president? Like, what role do they have in our lives? Jesus is king, we're free. In fact, look at verse 16 really fast. Jump down there. Peter says, "This is great. So clearly he says, "What? Live as people who are what? Free." He says, "You're free. You're free. You're not bound to, to anybody. But as this text explains, just because we are free, i.e. our allegiance is to Jesus, it doesn't mean that the government and that other structures of authority in our world, that there's, it doesn't mean that we don't have to relate to them and relate to them in a specific way. And so the rest of this text is about helping us understand, although Jesus is king and we're in allegiance to him, how do we specifically do good deeds? How do we live honorably in this world, in relationship to our government, in our workplaces, and in our family? And today, we're going to look at the first. We're going to look at our relationship to the government. Now, let me tell you, high picture, big level, what I believe Paul's, or I'm going to say Paul because I preach on Paul more than Peter. All right, but what Peter's big point here is in these verses. Are you ready? Here it is. I believe that what Peter's going to call us to is this. As followers of Christ, We respectfully follow the leaders and the laws of the places in which we live. In these following verses, we're going to see Peter clearly say this. What does it mean to, to live as free people in relationship to the governments of our world? Big picture, we respectfully follow the leaders and the laws of the places in which we live. Now, I know that that is a loaded statement, and we're Americans. And most of you are already running through the question that I'm not going to give you the full answer to today. You know what the question is, don't you? When don't we, right? When don't we have to follow? That's not what Peter is addressing in this text. He's starting with, even for us as Americans, he's starting with this conduct. Look at where we see it in the text. It's pretty obvious when you read it. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, what is the good, being subject to government's. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using, though, your freedom as a cover-up for evil. What do you think that evil is? We'll talk about it. But living as servants of God, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. When's the last time you read that passage? (laughs) How many of you want my job right now? You see, having just spent all this time talking about us as belonging to God and God alone, Peter inserts these verses because he knows that if we run too wildly with this concept that we belong to God and we're his people, that you and I would be tempted to think that the government has no role in our lives. And Peter is coming in this section and he's saying, inspired by God, it's the exact opposite of that. Don't think because you belong to God, you're now free. Free to accept or reject whatever government you live in according to your whims. You see, the first thing that should jump out to us as we read this passage and guard us from thinking that the governments and the laws where we live don't mean anything to the Christian is the fact that in this passage, God says as clearly and profoundly as we can. I don't know if you saw it, but it was right there. Governments are part of my plan for the world. Did you see that in the text? Did you see that, that God literally comes to us and says, listen, I have established, verse 14, I have a, of established, I have sent these governments and given them a purpose and a role in the world. Like government is not just some kind of human man-made invention, It's something that is established by God. And here's where I want to introduce you, church, to something that that maybe you're not familiar with. It's something that we find throughout the Bible. And theologians have come to, to understand it and describe it in this way. It's called sphere sovereignty. Sphere sovereignty. When you look throughout the Bible, sphere sovereignty means that God has established different authority structures in our world and given them a purpose and a role. You tracking with me? You'll see over and over again within God's word, and there's kind of four very clear ones that we see. We see government, we see family, we see the workplace, and we see the church. These four areas where God has given, granted authority to these institutions, these structures, to help with what I call human flourishing. To live in this world, God has established these things for us. And one of these that God has established, that this passage tells us he has established, is government. So when when Peter tells us, be subject to to these governing authorities, one of the reasons why he's telling us this is because, listen, these, these governing authorities, they exist because God has established them. Now, at the end of the day, who's king of kings and lord of lords? Pop quiz. Who's king of kings and lord of lords? god jesus he's over he's over all he's over all of these things the family the workplace the government the church but nonetheless over and over again in fact turn in turn your bibles to romans chapter 13 because this is a parallel passage to what Peter says here. Peter says this, Paul says this. In both of these passages here in 1 Peter 2 and then in Romans chapter 13, we see both these apostles of the Lord acknowledging the role of government that has been established by God. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every person, Paul says, be subject to the governing authorities. Literally, literally what Peter's just said. For there is no authority except from whom? God. There it is. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever, (laughs) brace yourself for this one. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Peter and Paul both saying the same thing. In fact, Jesus, I think they got it from him. Jesus would stand before Pontius Pilate. You remember this in John 19, verse 11? And he would say to Pontius Pilate, who was a corrupt government official. I mean, he's overseeing a, a faux trial. Jesus said in 1911, you would have no authority over me unless what? Unless it had been given to you from above. Booyah, Right? Listen, every government, here's a point to note every government that does exist, I'm not even going Old Testament this morning. Every government that does exist has been established by God. Governments, when they pop up on this earth because of the sovereignty we believe of God, when all of a sudden a new government is created, it sounds like God's in heaven. Like, Where did that come from? I didn't, I didn't, when did they become a country? Oh, I've got to deal with that one now. Every government, no one has authority apart from God establishing it. And by the way, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this one? Um, According to this passage and others, God does not prescribe only one form of government. All right. You're not going to find him saying, here is the three branches of government that you should establish. We can see patterns. We can see principles that lead to wise governing. But there is not one system of government that God calls his or establishes as the only one which you're supposed to follow. Just getting a little bit ahead of myself. The situation that Peter and that church found themselves in was crazy. Nero was the emperor at this time. That guy was off the hook insane. He believed himself to be a God. And yet Peter is writing and he's saying, yep, even this government. So every government that does exist has been established by God. But it also, we got to say this, every government is given responsibility. Every government does have a very specific role to punish evil and celebrate those who do good. Did you see it in the text, verse 13 again? Be subject to every human institution, verse 13 verse 14, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. It's pretty simple. Paul says the same thing in chapter 13 of Romans. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For he, verse four, is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong doer every government that exists is established by god it's his institution not man-made institution but every government has been given a role and responsibility that they are called to execute which is to punish evil and to praise and support what is is good so With all that said, for now, while Jesus is our king, while our allegiance is to him, nonetheless, we have to believe as God's people that he establishes governments in our world who have a role. But that's not the only thing that Peter wants us to know here. He now comes and he says that you and I have a responsibility to those governments. It's there in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution and then he explains what he means by that by referencing both the emperor and the governors that existed in that day from the federal to the state level he's saying this is the government in which you live and you are called to be subject to it paul says it in romans 1 be subject to the governing authorities He's going to use this word subject three more times or two more times in reference to the workplace with servants and masters and then according to the husband and wife relationship. But what does it mean? I mean, that's really the big issue here today, right? What does it mean for us to relate to the government? How do we do that? He says, be subject. What does it mean to be subject? Well, the the Greek word for this is the Greek word hypotasso. And hypotasso is most often translated submit. submit. It's like a dirty word. It needs a bath or something, right? Because when you and I think of be subject or we think of the word submit, what we immediately run to is a people who are oppressed, who have been put into a place of submission because they have been conquered or they are weaker than the person who is over them. That is not what it means in this text. It can't mean this that in this text because he says in verse 16, you are free, but be subject. So at minimum, what he's saying is part of what it means to submit, part of what it means to be subject is while you have full right and freedom to not do this thing, you're choosing to. Did you follow that bouncing ball? When he's calling us to be subject, he is saying that you are, are free. You're under the authority of Jesus, but, but I am asking you, nay, commanding you, because it is an imperative command, to ultimately choose to bring yourself under the authority of someone else. We talked about sphere sovereignty. God has established these governments. He's given them a role in your life. And he is saying to you and I that we must do this. Here's our responsibility to earthly governments, church. We choose. We choose to recognize and place ourselves under the authority of someone or something else. And in this case, it's under the governments of the places in which we live. We are saying we have leaders In this place we have laws in this place and as someone who is a follower of jesus christ I am going to choose To recognize that leadership and to come under the authority of that leadership, which means what exactly It means We will follow the laws established by our government It means that we're going to deny that we are a law unto ourselves To be subject requires listening and then doing what the one in authority over you says. I'm just taking the text this morning as Peter presents it. You want to know what good conduct is? You want to know the good deeds that you should do? You should, as the people of God, demonstrate a willingness to come under and follow the laws and the leaders of the places in which you live. In fact, Jesus gave us during his time on earth, the most clearest example of this. You remember this moment? People come and they try and trick him about, you know, well, should we pay taxes? (laughs) That's some of the laws on our books, right? Like our government calls us to pay taxes. Do you think it's by accident that Jesus picked that topic to address specifically? Because like, aren't taxes the most like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. You know, should we pay taxes? Shouldn't we? I mean, the, the, the emperor Caesar at that time and place in history, pretty wicked guy, not a good guy. We pay taxes to him. He's going to continue to oppress us as the Jewish people. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God's what is God's. Even Jesus acknowledges, listen, listen, as long as you're here and in this place, you need to follow the laws, you need to follow the leaders of the places in which you live. Now, the the immediate implications of this are kind of like obvious, like, listen, we pay our taxes, we abide by the speed limit, We, we recognize these things. But does that mean that we always agree with our government officials? Is that what that's being talked about? No, it's not being talked about that. You don't have to agree with your government officials. And right now, as I'm saying this, none of you probably care about anything that I just said. You want to still know the question? But when do I have to disobey? Do do I have to follow them blindly? Does that mean that every law that, that a governor, wink, wink, that's next week, or someone else puts in place, has to be obeyed by me. All right, because I don't want to run long. I'm just going to tell you very quickly this. Is there ever a time when we don't obey? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. We don't blindly follow and obey without question. Do you remember how we talked about sphere sovereignty, right? Right? Government has a sphere, family has a sphere, you got the sphere of your workplace, the church has a sphere. And I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to give you a little bit of tip next week where that's going, is like, you need to respect your sphere. And when this sphere encroaches upon this sphere, there, there's, there's, there's times here then when, when we have to discern and we have to say, is this encroaching, is this overstepping its lines? And when it does, how are we to respond? But what I can tell you today is that scripture gives us very clear examples of when you shouldn't obey when this doesn't apply. Number one. You have to disobey government when it commands you to do something that, God, that would violate the commands of God. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, we should all know that. If the government commands you to do something that violates the commands of God, if you're living in China, which has a one-child policy, and you have a child, and you get pregnant with another child, and the government comes in and says, you have to kill your baby, that's a command that you say, uh, no. But you also have to be prepared for something. If you say no, as the people of God, you have to be prepared for what? The consequences of that. So it's not a flippant thing to say no to the government. Because at the same point, what we see modeled in God's word over and over again is that the people of God, when they do rebel, when the people of God say no, they willingly honor the emperor and they take it. So... Yes, you have to disobey government when it commands you to do that, which violates God's word. And secondly, you have to disobey government when it commands you to not do something that God's word commands you to do. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this today because that's not the point of this text. We're going to talk about that in more detail next week because the point of this text is this. Before you run to thinking that you don't have to follow the government, Peter says, yes, you do. That your overall disposition and my overall disposition is to submit to the government of the places in which you live. And that finally, and this is what I'm going to close with this morning, that that's not just lip service. What I mean by that is that it's not just lip service. Is that we give, look at what he says. He says it twice. We give honor. We give honor. There should be something about how Christians both live in obedience to the governments in which they live. And as we'll see next week, live in disobedience to the governments in which they live. That that as we live within those structures, people look at us and they can't question the fact that there's something different about us. That we are not a people driven by anger and mass or malice and slander. The people of God, while we, while we look to honor whoever is in the role of government, listen, I don't know how else to say this. Paul talked about this last week. How you speak about the government in the place in which you live. Like just because you disagree with them, just because you might think they're idiots, just because you might think whatever, does not give you permission to speak against your government in a way that is sinful. Are you tracking with me? Because the fruit of the spirit that lives inside of you is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm telling you here this morning, I'm checking my own heart on this. It's not just giving lip service to, okay, I'm going to follow the laws of the places in which I live, but that person so helped me, blah, 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 blah. I have not fulfilled the heart of what this text is all about. And, and so, like, when you look at Facebook feeds, just chill, like, can we just go to Facebook for a moment for people that are online? Some of the older folks are like, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. God bless you. You're being spared. But But you go on there, and as a Christian, you're like, Check out this post, and it's from a talking head. And then that talking head is speaking about either the president or the governor or somebody else in ways that are inflammatory, derogatory, using speech that should never come out of any human's mouth, let alone a Christian. Like, you just linking to that is not fulfilling what this passage is calling you to do. Because that is not how we live in honor and respect and in deference to the people where we live. Does that mean that we can't disagree? No. You can disagree and you can speak out against the policies of our government as much as you want and to your heart's content. But you and I, as the people of God, must do it in a way that demonstrates the spirit of God that lives in us. Can I get an amen to that? Is it possible to do that? Come on now. Is it possible to disagree with our government and our officials and yet still speak about them in a way that does not undercut the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Is that possible? Yes. Yes, it is. And so here's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. What I want to leave you with this morning is just some application because I'm just I'm just kind of teasing you because... Next week we're going to gather back together, and and when we do so, now I'm going to take this passage in First Peter, and I'm going to jump off a little bit, and I'm going to talk about then. Okay, so but but in practicality, Dave, how do we how do we as a church look at these things? When and how do we potentially rebel? I'm here to tell you that the day is coming, and might already be here, where there will be the need for churches, and then individual Christians to stand against some of the things which our government has put in place. But how are we going to do that? Before we even have that discussion, I want us to practice this passage this week. Would you do that with me? Would you practice this passage this week? And I'm not just simply, listen, follow the speed limit, okay? As hard as that might be on Valley Center Road right here, okay? and that, That doesn't just mean, you know, Wear a mask. Did I dare say that? Okay, I'm not going to even. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this. I'm going to leave you with four things. They're simple things. They're easy things. Here's what I'm talking about. God's word says one of the way that we honor our leaders is by praying for our leaders. You know, when you pray for your leaders and government officials, do you know what you're doing in praying for them? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You're actually acknowledging that they're your leaders. One of the things that we as the people of God should always do is pray for our leaders because it reminds us that they've been instituted by God according to this scripture for our good. Would you join me in doing something that I'm just going to confess I don't do faithfully enough? Would you be praying this week for Our leaders, before you ever ask yourself the question, should I obey or disobey, ask yourself the question first, have I been praying for my leaders? That's number one. Number two, this one is, it's gonna be hard even after we fellowship here in just like a few moments, okay? Let us seek to speak in honoring ways of all all of our leaders. That's what God's word calls us to. Would you join with me this week in striving to, while you might even disagree with the policy or decision or law of our country, that as you do so, you would do so in a way that would not slander the fact that that person has both been placed there by God and is someone who's been made in their image. Before you consider, should I obey or disobey, are you praying for your leaders, and are you speaking of them in a way that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit? Here's the last one. Would you this week use the freedom that you have as someone who is a citizenship of heaven and whose allegiance is to Jesus to use your freedom to pursue holiness? That before you consider disobedience to government and before you look to rise up against it, would you instead practice obedience to your God? Because we just saw in first Peter, you are called to be holy as he is what? Holy. you get those three down I get those three down then next week maybe we can have a conversation about if and when it's appropriate and how we might have to say no to the things that our government puts in play because verse 17 ends with this and this is how I'll end my message honor everyone love the brotherhood fear God honor the emperor let's try that first shall we Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge in this time and this place, this is, a, this is kind of a lot to take in and there's more probably that we would want answers to. Lord, and there's a time and a place for that. and We'll come to those things. But for now, as your people, help us to first have the mindset that we recognize what you have instituted. That we recognize that Christ is king, our allegiance is to him, but that does not divorce us from the world in which we live, but instead impacts how we engage it. And so let us be a people who are praying for the leadership where we live. And that if they are doing that which is contrary to your word, or we believe is contrary to your word, that we would pray that you would change them so that they would function as you've designed. Lord, may we be a people whose speech in person, over the phone, in emails, online, wherever it is, demonstrates that we are swayed by the Spirit and that we do not give in to the passions of the flesh. And that finally, Lord, we would use the freedom that we have in Jesus, Lord, to pursue the holiness which is already ours, that we would walk in obedience to you for the praise and the glory of your name and for the good of those around us. So we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.